Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. I, uh, I've got to say, it's really an honor to be able to be here worshiping at Munger this morning. I, I've been in this space before. I was here for vacation Bible school. I've been at meetings at Munger, but this is my first chance to worship here, and, and I gotta tell you, I, I just love it. it. It seems like just the other day that, that Andrew was walking my wife and I around this room right here with a flashlight, right? No electricity, it was, it was, it was kind of a mess, and, and to be able to see what God has done with this, with this physical space is, is amazing, but, but to be able to hear the stories about what God is doing in this community and in lives here is, is even more amazing. As, as Joshua said, my name is Matt Toggle, I'm the newest member of the pastoral staff at, at Highland Park, and, and my main role is with the youth, so I'm the director of youth ministries, which means that I've been working closely with Andrew to find the right person to get a youth ministry started and to lead a youth ministry here at Munger. We've got our eye on your 6th through 12th graders, and we know that they, that they need something vibrant, and we are actively looking for the right person for that. We're, we've been going through interviews, and we're in the interview process now, so we'll invite you to pray for that. Just pray for the right person, because we trust that God is going to be faithful and that God is going to bring the, the person that we need to lead your youth uh, to be devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. So, it's like I said, it's an honor to be here. And uh, before coming to Highland Park, my wife Amy and I spent three years in Georgia. And before that, I was in seminary uh, at Perkins School of Theology over there at SMU. And before that, I spent three years in Richmond, Virginia, which is also where I grew up, working in youth ministry. And during that time... I met the youth pastor from the church down the road who was a young Andrew Forrest. So Andrew and I have been friends for many, many years. So even before I came on staff here, Andrew had asked me if I could be here this morning to, to continue this sermon series echo that Andrew's been leading you through. Now for those of you who haven't been here the past few weeks, Andrew, who, who's the pastor here at Munger Place, if, if this is your first time, has been leading the congregation line by line through the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is, is a series of statements that were written early in the church's history as kind of foundational statements about what we as Christians believe to be true. You know that there's, there's disagreement within the church, that the various denominations disagree about certain things. Some of us baptize babies, others don't baptize babies. So some denominations believe that, that, that it is predetermined who will believe in God and thus be saved. And then there are those of us, myself included, in the United Methodist Church who believe that, that we have to make a decision. There are a variety of things that we as Christians disagree about, but the Apostles' Creed is a series of statements that most of us agree on. Most Christians hold the creed in common. The, the statements in the creed are kind of like pillars. They're kind of like pillars that hold up the house. And if we can hold these things in common, if we can all believe these things to be true, then we can disagree about all of the other stuff. The creed is the thing that holds the church together in so many ways. Things that we all hold to be true, and therefore we can disagree about some other things that, that we feel like don't matter quite as much. So this morning we're going to be looking at a short portion of the creed. We're looking at a portion that, that deals with Jesus' life as an adult. There's nothing here that most of you haven't heard before. It goes like this. Jesus, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. Now before we go any further, I'd just like to publicly thank my dear friend Andrew for allowing me to preach on something so upbeat and enjoyable this morning. My first time with you guys, and he gives me this, right? Last week, Andrew got to talk about um, conceived by the Holy Spirit and 
and born of the Virgin Mary, right? He gets Mary and I get Pilate, right? I, I, so I, I just, I just want to thank Andrew for that. And, uh, and I hope that Andrew is enjoying his wedding on the beach um, while I'm preaching to his flock about the crucifixion. Um, so let's take a look at the passage that Andrew so graciously picked out for us this morning. Crucified, dead, and buried. That Jesus of Nazareth, a man who lived 2,000 years ago, was hung on a cross, that he, he physically died, and that he was buried and put in a tomb. It's not a controversial statement. It's not a surprising statement. It's something that, that all of you have heard before. And in fact, it's something that very few people in this world disagree with. Even atheist historians agree that there was a man 2,000 years ago named Jesus of Nazareth who opposed the Roman government by preaching that he was the Messiah, that he was hung on a cross, that he died on that cross, and that he was put in a tomb. Very few people disagree with that. But as we dig into these words a little bit deeper, I think that this morning that we will find something that surprises us. Something underneath these words that, that gives us hope. In the midst of a few words that are so dark, that talk about the darkest day in human history, that out of that day we find hope. So before we dig into that, let me ask you a silly question. Have any of you known someone or are any of you one of these people who like to watch the same movie over and over again? You know what I'm talking about? When I was growing up, when I was in either middle school or high school, it was the movie Titanic. Do you all remember that? Like, like middle school girls went to see that movie like 8,000 times. And their, their moms went to see that movie like 8,000 times. And then, and then when I was in college, um, it was Kevin Smith movies. If you don't know who Kevin Smith is, you may be the better for it. But he, uh, he only has a handful of movies. But my friends would watch them just over and over again. Now, I, I've never been somebody like that. I, once I see a movie, I don't really care to see it again. In fact, there are only four movies. There are only four movies that I would be happy watching on repeat. Um, the first one is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. That was the first one in 1977. The second one is Star Wars Episode Five. Um, the Empire Strikes Back. The third one is uh, Star Wars Episode Six, <laughs> Return of the Jedi. And the fourth one, and, and now for something completely different, is a movie called Dan in Real Life. Any of you seen that movie? You know, not a lot of people like that movie. I love that movie. It's Steve Carell. He's a single dad with three daughters. And it's about his relationship with them and his relationship with the, the extended family. And, and I just love it. And I particularly love the last line. If you haven't seen it, the last line won't give it away. But the last line says this. It's really simple, but I think that it's really profound. It just says, plan to be surprised. Plan to be surprised. You know, when we look around our world, if we're paying attention, we live in a world that's full of surprises. Now, many of us have grown accustomed to these surprises, and we found explanations for them. But, but think about the wonder in a child's eyes the first time they see a rainbow. Or think about the, the first time that, 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 that a girl holds a seed in her hand, and she's watched it sprout. Or think about that, that, that sixth grade boy who has his first crush, 
and that feeling he has inside of him. You know, the world is full of surprises. Who would have ever thought that those colors could be in the sky? Who would have ever thought that, that a seed could hold inside of it a plant? Who would have ever thought that a girl could make us feel that way? You know, my favorite surprise is this right here. A little acorn. It's my favorite surprise. My wife Amy and I, we have a, a little son named Boyd who's nine months old. You know, next fall when, when Boyd's a, a little over a year, he and I are going to be standing in the front yard one day, and he's going to ask me what this is. And he's going to be amazed when I tell him that one day this could turn into an oak tree. Just imagine the look in his eyes when I point to one of the giant trees in our neighborhood and I say, look, look, that used to be this. Our world is full of surprises. I was a biology major in college, and I love science. And, you know, the more that scientists find out is interesting. The more they find out about the world, the more questions they have. Our world is full of surprises. And this morning, I want to talk about three surprises. I'm talk about three surprises this morning. The first one's a surprise that all of us have experienced, but that most of us have forgotten about. The second is a surprise that some of us here this morning have experienced, but I think that some of us probably haven't. The third surprise is one that none of us have experienced, but that some of us have received a little bit of a foretaste of. So here's the first surprise. It's the one that we've all experienced, and it's not a good one. The only reason we have to talk about it is because Andrew's making us. It, isn't it surprising? Isn't it surprising how much suffering there is in this world? I mean, if you're paying attention, things are really bad. When we're children, we don't realize this. When we're children, we know that we can't talk to strangers, but we don't know why. When we're children, we'll pick up a snake just like we pick up a stick. When we're children, we don't know why we have to lock our doors at night. But at some point, we lose that innocence. At some point, we know that strangers are bad. At some point, we start double-checking our locks at night. For those of us who believe in a loving God, it can be hard to understand why there's suffering in the world. I mean, how do we reconcile belief in a loving God with the fact that God is watching his people suffer? Isn't it surprising? Friends, isn't it surprising that a loving God seems to be satisfied allowing us to suffer? I'll say that again. Isn't it surprising that a loving God seems to be satisfied allowing his people to suffer. I mean, we believe that the God that we worship, the God revealed in Jesus Christ and testified to in the scriptures, we believe that this God not only is a loving God, but we actually take it a step further. We believe that God actually is what? That God actually is love. I mean, we sing all the songs about it, right? Jesus loves the little children and Jesus loves me, this I know. I mean, we know from an early age that God loves us. But then at some point, we start to look around the world. And we say, look, 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 I, I know what the song says. 
but it sure doesn't look like Jesus loves that person. I mean, if Jesus loves that person, where's his food? It, it, it was, you know, I, 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 I know what the songs say, but it sure doesn't feel like Jesus loves me much right now. I mean, if Jesus loves me, then why did that happen to me? If Jesus loves me, then why do I feel this way? I don't know when it happened for you, but at some point, we lost our innocence. At some point, we were surprised to find out just how bad the world really is. You may not remember when it happened for you, but I, I, I remember the very moment when it happened for me. I was at a stop sign, probably 25 years ago. We were driving down a road in Columbus, Georgia. And if you and I were driving down that road today, I could tell you the exact place where it was, even though I was only six years old. Because at that stop sign, I realized for the first time that something that had happened to me wasn't supposed to have happened. I, I don't know why, but at that stop sign, it was, it was perpendicular to a highway and it had those little yellow bumpers in the road. At that stop sign, something inside of me told me to tell my mom what that man had done. What he had done to me and to my friend while we were away for the weekend. And friends, when I saw that tear come down my mom's right cheek, I was sitting in the, the passenger side back seat. When I saw my mom begin to weep, I realized that there is something wrong with the world. I realize that we live in a busted world and that somehow I am wrapped up in the middle of it. I, I don't know when it happened for you. Maybe you didn't have a moment like that. But haven't you been watching the news sometimes? Hasn't ABC interrupted your favorite program? Or haven't you been driving around the neighborhood and at some point said, look, I know what the songs say, but how can God possibly be love? It's surprising, friends, that a loving God would allow us to suffer so much. That dichotomy leads some people to leave the faith. It leads some people to blame the suffering on the sufferer. It leads some people to, to paint a picture of God that is far from a loving God. It's a big surprise, and it's a bad surprise when we realize that the world is busted and that we are living in the middle of it. Just about every week, I'm more and more surprised by just how bad it really is. You know, people have been running these questions through their minds for years. As early as the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and up to today, men and women of God have been struggling with how to reconcile a loving God with a broken world. Many of these men and women, they, 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 they were trying to make sense of their suffering in this world, and, and inspired by God, they wrote down some images in the Bible to help us understand why our world is fractured, to help us understand why they're suffering. Some of the suffering's actually kind of easy to explain. Some of it's simply our fault. The third chapter of the Bible in the book of Genesis contains what we call the fall story. The story of Adam and Eve 
turning from God's will and turning towards their will. That first sin led to lots of other sins. And it's led down through the generations to us today. To where some of us in big ways and saw all of us in small ways. Every day. Choose our will over God's will. I mean, let's just be honest. Part of the reason that they're suffering is because God's will says, share with those who are in need. But our will says, hold on to what makes you feel secure. God's will says, you got to love other people first. Our will says, you got to look out for number one. God's will says, look, take care of your family. Our will says, pursue pleasure. Part of the reason that the world isn't right is because we're not right. You know, the way that I would say that, a, a being from Georgia, is that, that the world ain't right because we ain't right. Which is just kind of a, a, a simplified version of what Paul says in Romans. He says, this is much more flowery, he says, look, I, I don't understand my own actions. I do the things that I, 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 I don't want to do. The, the things that I hate, I do them anyway. And the things that, that, that I want to do... I don't seem to be able to do them. We can explain some of the suffering in the world because we cause some of the suffering in the world. But what about earthquakes? What about volcanoes and hurricanes? I mean, what's that about? Why is God okay with those things? God seems to be satisfied seeing his people suffer. There's no easy answers here. We live in a broken world, and sometimes it seems that God is satisfied with that. But there's another surprise. Surprise number two. This is one that many of us have experienced, and this is a good surprise. It comes in the first words of the creed that describe Jesus as an adult. You know what it is. The creed says that he was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and what? Suffered. The God of all creation came into the world, and what did he do? He suffered. At first glance, God seems satisfied to see us suffer. But the gospel is surprisingly good news. God, in fact, is so dissatisfied seeing his children suffer that he's willing to suffer himself. It's surprising to us that, that, that God would suffer for us, but, but I would imagine that his disciples would have been even more surprised to find a Messiah who was suffering. You know, by the time that Jesus came, people had been expecting the Messiah for a while, but they wouldn't have been expecting a suffering Messiah. We actually know exactly what they would have been expecting. If we look at the 18th chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses says that a prophet like himself will come. So one trait of the Messiah that they were expecting is that this Messiah would look like who? It would look like Moses. And then in 2 Samuel 7, God promises King David that one of his sons or grandsons or great-grandsons, etc., will, will always be on the throne of Israel. Now, because Israel sinned and 
and, and, and egregiously, they lost that privilege for a while, but they're expecting that when the Messiah comes back, when there's another king, that not only will he look like Moses, but he'll also look like who? David. So when you think about the Messiah that they're expecting, they think that he's going to be a cross between Moses and David. Now, when you think about Moses, what do you think about? There are a lot of stories about Moses, but what do you think about when you think about Moses most? Perhaps what he's most famous for is parting that Red Sea and leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. So, track with me here for a second. If you're a Jew that's living in slavery to the Romans, and you're expecting a Messiah who's going to look like Moses, what are you expecting this Messiah to do? To lead you out of slavery to the Romans. Now let's look at David for a second. When you think about David, what's the first thing you think about? There's a lot, but, but maybe the most famous story is David and Goliath, right. When you think about David, David was known for doing what to bad guys? For busting their heads open, right? That's what David did to bad guys. So put these two things together. Many of the Jews were expecting a Messiah who would do what? He would free them from Rome by doing what? Busting some heads open of some Romans, right? That's what they're expecting. I mean, they are expecting an action hero, right? They're expecting Bruce Willis to roll up into the Holy Land, and, and, and they are expecting him to, 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 to wield a sword, to crack some skulls, to be just a hardcore Jew, to just straight wreck shop on some Romans, right? That, that is what they are expecting from the Messiah, an action hero, and they get Jesus. I mean, they get a guy who's walking around saying things like, put away your sword and love your enemies. They get a guy who doesn't crack any skulls. In fact, the only skull that's cracked in the Gospels is when a crown of thorns is put into his head. And, and not only is he not killing Romans, but what's he doing? He's healing Romans. He's keeping Romans alive. I mean, whose side is this guy on? How surprising that the Savior would come and instead of killing Romans, instead of leading an army, how surprising that he comes and he suffers. But for some Jews, they might not have been so shocked. You see, a lot of them expected that action hero. A lot of them expected the Messiah to come and to forcefully usher in the kingdom. But then in the middle of the Bible, there's another voice. A voice that speaks of another kind of Savior. Hear these words from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by others. A man... Of what? Suffering. And acquainted with infirmity. And as one of those, as one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has bore our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we have accounted him stricken, 
struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Some believe that the Messiah would come and suffer. Some believe that it was possible for one person to carry the sins of the whole world. Some believe that when the Messiah came, he would suffer for us. And that by doing so, he would save us. So here are these words from Luke. Let me set the scene. Pilate, who's the Roman governor, who has the authority to determine who lives and who dies, has two men standing before him. One is a sinner. He's a murderer, but he's not just that. He's also a liar. He's someone who puts himself before other people. He's someone who who cheats. He's just a sinner like us. And then next to him is the one innocent man who's ever lived. Then the crowd shouted out together, Away with this fellow, release Barabbas for us. This was a man who had been put in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I'll therefore have him flogged and then release him. But they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave his verdict. That their demand should be granted. He released the man they asked for. The one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder. And he handed Jesus over. As they wished. How surprising. The sinner goes free. Because the Savior chooses to go to the cross. You know, there are a lot of ways that Christians answer the question, why is there suffering in the world? And there are a lot of ways that Christians answer the question, why did Jesus have to die? What happened on the cross? But perhaps for this morning, the words of the creed are simply enough for us. The Savior came to suffer, to be crucified to die, and to be buried. He chose the physical agony of the cross. Pain like some of you have felt. He chose the emotional agony of having his friends betray him 
a feeling that many of us have felt. He chose the spiritual agony of having our sins heaped upon him. An agony that none of us can possibly comprehend of being fully, feeling fully away from our God. How surprising that the Savior of the world would choose to suffer for someone like you, for someone like me. It's easy for us to wonder how a loving God could be satisfied seeing his sons and daughters suffer until one day we come face to face with the good news that God himself suffered. That this living and loving God was so dissatisfied seeing his sons and daughters suffer that he himself suffered with us. That he himself suffered for us. How surprising that he would do that for us. You know, it could be easy to end the sermon here. Our sensibilities tell us that the creed should be over. That buried should be the last word. I mean, the man is in the grave. What more is there to say? But we live in a world that's full of surprises. And the third surprise, the one that none of us have yet experienced, but that we have a taste of. It's a twofold surprise. It's already happened, and yet we believe that it will happen again. You see, the world has one last grand surprise. In three days, he will rise. And the world has one last grand surprise. See, friends, in the end, we too will rise. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for these words that, that you have given us in the Scripture. And for these words of the Apostles' Creed, Lord, words that are not easy for us to hear, Lord, words that, that are hard for us to confront. Lord, on a Sunday morning, oftentimes we don't, we don't want to confront the cross, but yet, Lord, it, it's there. And Lord, though it's ugly and though it's dark, Lord, we know that the shadow that it casts is beautiful and that it is bright. Lord, we thank you that, that in the midst of our suffering, Lord, in the places where, where so many of us feel that, 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 that you have abandoned us, Lord, in the places where we look around the world and we see our friends and our family and there are so many of them that, that feel that, 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 that you cannot exist in a world like this, Lord, we give you thanks that there is good news. And that is that you love us so much, that you are so dissatisfied with seeing us suffer that you're willing to come and suffer with us, to come and to suffer for us. Lord, I pray that that good news, the good news of your son Jesus, will deep, seep deep down into our souls this morning. And that when we walk out of here this afternoon and the rest of this week, Lord, that we will just be aflame with your love to be able to share with all of those around us. God, we love you and we pray these things in the mighty name of your son Jesus. Amen.